In Luke chapter 2, beginning reading at verse 8, And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel and the multitude, with the angel, multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward all men. For a few moments this morning we'll talk about the manger, which is a picture to me of God's humility. Someone has said that the birth of Jesus Christ is a sunrise of the Bible. Indeed, the prophets wrote about it and the psalmist sung about uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ of glory itself. And yet we find the birth of Jesus Christ introduced a brand new day for humanity. How? It brought salvation. His birth brought deliverance. His birth brought forgiveness. Uh, His birth brought the fact that God invaded this earth and he came through the person known as Jesus Christ uh, the Lord. He arrived in a way that the world would never comprehend. He arrived in a way that many would never expect. He came as a baby. Think that God came as a baby. Divinity housed in a man. I think it's a wonderful the fact that the story begins uh, by the angels making the birth announcement uh, to the shepherds. We must understand that shepherds in that day and age, uh, they were looked down upon uh, by normal people. Uh, they were the outcast of society, if you will. Uh, the shepherds would live with their sheep. Uh, therefore, they could not keep uh, the ritual ceremonial law. Uh, they could not do the meticulous hand washings and the other rituals and things that were required uh, by the law. And the religious people uh, looked down upon them. The flocks demanded so much of their time, they couldn't even get to the temple the way they needed to. And therefore, the Orthodox Jew looked down upon them very badly. But it was this simple uh, people, this everyday run-of-the-mill men, uh, that God's angels came and made the announcement that the Savior of the world had been born. The Lamb of God had been born. And you will find him in Bethlehem's manger in that little town. Uh, But it was all likelihood these were very sheep uh, that these particular shepherds were taking care of. In the temple, both morning and evening, a sacrifice had to be offered up to God for the half of the sins. And they would often use a lamb to do that. It's very possible uh, to see that these simple offerings uh, were perfect, that the lamb didn't have a blemish, it didn't have a spot. The temple authorities had their own private uh, sheepfold, if you will, and we know that they had them within the vicinity of the town of Bethlehem itself. In all probability, it was these shepherds uh, keeping those special sheep uh, that were destined to be sacrificed uh, in the temple worship service. Uh, isn't it a wonderful thing to think about uh, that those that looked upon those shepherds that looked upon those lambs that would be as a sacrifice uh, in the temple, uh, the angels came and directed them to the Lamb of God who would be slain uh, to take away the sins of the entire world. It was Jesus Christ there placed in that manger, that baby born in Bethlehem's manger uh, indeed was the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world itself. 
Now in Jewish tradition, uh, when a male baby or a baby boy was born, uh, friends and musicians would often be brought, uh, singers brought out uh, for the celebration. Uh, when that newborn baby boy was born, uh, they would go into jubilation, they would sing and they would praise God and there'd be music, it would be a festival time. But when Jesus was born, that was not the case. Uh, Jesus was born in a cave, in a, ma- in a, in a, in a, in a stable, which no doubt, no doubt was a, a, a simply a cave in the Bethlehem Hill. And he was placed in a manger. And therefore the musicians nowhere to be found. Uh, the singers were nowhere to be found. And yet it's interesting to think that the angels uh, took the place of the musicians. The angels took the place uh, on earth. And they did for Jesus uh, what no man upon this earth could do. The angels came and, and because he was a boy, but he was more than a boy. He was God Almighty incarnate. And yet they were the one to bring forth praises unto God and shout that a boy had been born, but more than a boy, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, they would take away the sins of the world. And the Bible said that he was in the flesh. And suddenly there was an angel with an angel multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. The question had been asked in the Old Testament, uh, but will God indeed dwell upon the earth? The heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less the house which I have built it. Yes, with the birth of Jesus Christ, God came to this earth. He was divinity housed in a man. He was not half God and half man, 100% God and 100% man. Of all the ways that God can make entrance into this world, of all the ways that divinity uh, could make his interest into this world. He chose to do it in the form of a baby. And yet you would think if God was going to divine such a plan that he would be birthed and born uh, in a palace or a mansion or at least into the home of people of notoriety. But I remind you that God's ways are not man's ways and God's thoughts are not God's thoughts. God has a reason and God has a purpose behind everything that he does. And I believe the same thing is true here. God came to earth and he arrived in all places in a cave, in a side of a hill in a little sleepy town by the name of Bethlehem itself. The newborn baby, the salvation of the world, the one who would defeat Satan, the one who would overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, uh, the one who would uh, be destined to pay the price for sin, uh, the one who would open up the eyes of the blind, unstop the deaf ear, let the lame walk, the one who would cleanse the leper, uh, the one who would take death and cause him into resurrection parades, uh, the one who would ultimately die upon the cross for the sins of the world. The one who would rise from the grave for the justification to all of those that believe was born and placed in a feeding trough where animals were to house. That staggers the imagination. Only God could design such a plan and that plan he had behind it was a purpose. I'll tell you, I believe the manger in all respect is a picture of God's humility. Think about God and humility. God and humility. The nativity scenes of our day depicting the birth of Jesus are almost fairy tale in nature. But I remind you, uh, his birth was not a fairy tale. It was a reality. When Je- what Jesus endured becoming human and was to enter our world of a harsh reality. There was no golden home for him to walk into. Uh, there was no golden streets for him to walk upon here upon this earth. He simply was in a modest upbringing in a little obscure village of Nazareth where he lived in the home of a carpenter. A, a, a man of common, a, a, blue, a, a blue collar worker if you will. And yet we find 
find uh, that when Jesus was born, he was born among the mundane. He was born where animals would graze. He was born where there was nobody of importance around him uh, whatsoever. But by God's design and the God of creation entered this world in the floor of a cave and was placed uh, in a feeding trough where animals uh, were to eat. That, my friend, is humility considering where he came from. I remind you that when Jesus Christ was born, he didn't just happen to be born. He always was existent. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The birth of Jesus meant it was the beginning of his humanity. He always was. He sat upon the throne. He created the world and he sustained the world by his own power. Uh, Prior to his physical birth, Jesus was created everything, surrounded by angels who worshipped him every day, every hour. The cherub and the seraphim, holy, 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 would be echoed by holy, holy, holy. From the eons, from the very beginning, whatever that was, Jesus was always, and he was always worshipped by the angels in heaven. He sat upon a beautiful throne. Uh, He had uh, no doubt uh, golden streets and uh, uh, walls of jasper and gates of pearl. A beautiful river. Everything of beauty and splendor and glory was there. He walked on the streets of gold. There were no sickness up there. No pain. No suffering. No temptation. No devil. No death. No dying. No crying. None of those things. And yet he chose to leave all of that and put aside the glory uh, that he had with the Father and was, was supernaturally uh, placed in the womb of a young virgin woman. And he popped out of the womb 100% God and 100% man. you talking about humility. He left all that behind himself and choosing to lay down the glory that he had with the Father while he was there in heaven. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus was born, they gave no baby shower for Mary. When Jesus was born, it didn't go into Bethlehem times of that day. When Jesus was born, it was simply the fact uh, that he was born on a floor of a cave and placed in a feeding trough. That, my friend, is humility. Jesus came to this world for a specific reason, to judge sin. As I said earlier, Jesus didn't come to this world to judge sinners. He came to save them. Jesus didn't come to this world to judge the world. He came to save the world. But here's the point. Sin must be judged. And sinners will give an account to God for what they, we all have done within our life. God's wrath is reserved against all ungodliness and all that are sinful. But God said, I love the world so much. I have said that all sin will be judged and sinners will die. That was not just physical death. That would be a spiritual death. But God said, I've devised a plan before the salvation of the world that if man were to sin, I have planned that will see that they're redeemed. I love them so much to the apple of my eye. You're made in my image, created in my likeness, and I can be just and justifier. I can be fair by saying sin must be judged. But God said, I myself will take the judgment. Praise God. Think about this. I've often wondered when I first got saved, Lord, how can this be? How is it that just Jesus Christ, if I accept him, how does that appease you? I remember an old uh, Christian song years ago about a man who was a notorious father. He beat his kids often. And one day, one of the little boys did something wrong. And the older brother said, I can't see dad whipping you no more for this. He said, I'll take your place. And he walked up to his dad and he said, dad, and I'm paraphrasing, dad, Little Johnny did it, 
but I know you're going to have to whip somebody, so I'm going to take his place. And he took his shirt off, took his coat off, and took his shirt off, and bore his back to his father. And his dad whipped him, and whipped him, and beat him, to the point that little Johnny was set free, but the older brother took the stripes. By the same token, God stepped out of time, into, out of eternity, into time, and he bore in his body the sin, the reproach, the shame, everything we ever did, he bore it in his body. Amen. He paid the price. But here's the thing. Somebody said, well, I'll do that. I can do that. No, it wouldn't work for you if you and I did. You know why? Because our blood's tainted. That's right. Because there's sin in our life. Jesus being born of a virgin. Jesus uh, did not, was not conceived by sinful man, but rather by the Holy Spirit, which meant that his blood was untainted. His blood was pure. His blood was holy. His blood is the only thing that can cleanse the sinner of sin. Yeah, and we rejoice in knowing that that's what happened at Bethlehem's manger. That friend, that's where hell comes to play. We're all going to stand before the judgment bar of God and give an account for our lives. And if we've not accepted the blood that Jesus shed, if we've not accepted the life that he gave, then it, we are going to have to carry our own sins before the judgment bar of God. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He sacrificed heaven that we wouldn't miss heaven. He came to a sinful world that we could be redeemed out of a sinful world. Amen. That to me shows humility on the part of a living God. Amen. Jesus chose to leave the, leave the beauty, the splendor, and the glory, the perfect place called heaven, in order to pay the perfect price for the sacrifice for our sins. He came to pay the price. The Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin." For us who knew no sin, that we might be the made the righteousness of God in him. Paul reminds us that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ <clears throat> brings peace with God. You know what? I think one of the greatest things in all the world to know that as a Christian, I have peace with God. And I have the peace of God yeah. that surpasses understanding. Our sins were judged in Jesus. His blood, which was pure and holy, satisfied the wholeness of God, satisfied the righteousness of God, satisfied the demands of God. Therefore, Paul said it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that we might be just and justifier of the one who hath faith in Jesus. In other words, God says, you sin, you're going to die. Every one of us from those little newborn babies when they first come in the world and we ooh and awe their beauty. And they smile and they ooh and they, I mean, they just wrap themselves all around you, but they're sinners. Sin is in those little precious lives. Sin is there. But God said, I love the world so much, I'm going to take their place. And I thank God he took the place of every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room. If well, but embrace his love, embrace his teaching, embrace his life. And therefore God is just in that sin was judged, but he's justifier in that he said, I paid the price for you and you can be free. Amen. That's the greatest deal. This side of eternity. Come to God just as you are. Guilty as charged. Full of sin. We could go one by one and list the things we know we've done wrong. The ways we've spit in the face of God. The habits that we've done. The, the, the iniquities that are there. But one by one we can name them. But they've all been washed away as far as the east is from the west. And we are clean through that precious blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus left a perfect place and entered into the world to be our perfect sacrifice. But why would he do it? Why would he put himself so much pain and so much suffering? Why would he be surrounded by the glory in heaven? 
Leave all that beauty and all that splendor and come to this sin-cursed world as a baby of all things. Think about this. Jesus couldn't even hold up his head. He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't say, hey, I'm hungry. He couldn't say, hey, change my diaper. He depended wholeheartedly upon his mother for everything. And yet the salvation of the world rested in that small. Why would he do that? Why would a God who commanded stars to be flung come to a world in a body of a baby to have to be dependent upon a little virgin girl? Great is the mystery of godliness. Why would he leave the splendor of heaven and be born in the floor of a cave and be placed in a feeding trough? I hope I'm not above my raising. But I recall I've traveled the world quite a bit for which I'm grateful. I've gone in some countries and among people groups that they knew very little about hygiene, very little about anything that we would call in America sanitary. I never will forget one time I saw a gal running out of the jungles of Africa and she had deodorant, the commode deodorizers that she put in the commode, taped her arm for deodorant. She didn't know. Got it off the black market. I've sat down and ate meals that was not good, fit to be consumed by human beings. I have sat down to where water was offered, to where they had to boil it, strain it, and boil it again, and you still took a chance of getting parasites. I've been among people groups that the smells would knock you down when you got near them. The food would knock you down when you got near to sit on the ground. I never forget one country, they, one guy, they kind of Americanized him a little bit. His name is Adam, which is Adam, but Adam. And he said, going to have you to my house, going to have chicken. Oh, man, I couldn't wait. I, I, I think Kentucky Fried Chicken. And we go to Adam's house. We go through the bushes and we go through the forest and all that and go to his house. And it's a big old back porch like a thing we'd call an America fenced in a little bit with a screen on it. And we sat down. And here come this big old bucket. looked like Kentucky Fried Chicken. And man, by the time that thing got around to me, there was that chicken with all its intestines going which way or another. And the, that on the claws and the head hanging over. And I said, just pass me on by. I didn't feel comfortable in some of these places. But I went and I go back. Why? Because I love the people. Because I care about their soul. Why do missionaries go to these places? They don't know if they're going to come back. Because they love the people. And they love their soul. Why would God Almighty leave the splendor and the glory and come to this rat-infested, sin-infested atmosphere called the world? Because He loves and when we stop to think about the humility of God being placed in a manger of all things, I can't help but say, wow. Why did Jesus do it? Many reasons, I'm sure. <clears throat> but could you imagine being placed in a manger, the danger of ticks and allergies and disease and the filth? But he did it. Why? One reason, I believe that Jesus could identify with our struggles. There's a European monarch who often troubled his subordinates by often disappearing and walking among the people. Who is asked not to do so for security reasons. The monarch said, I cannot rule my people unless I know how they live. Is it not a blessing and an encouragement to know that our God, is it not an assurance to know that our God he knows where we live. He knows the temptations we encounter. He knows the fears that haunt us day and night. He knows today the struggles that we face every moment of our hour. Why? He walks where we walk. He lived where we live. He's touched by the feeling of our infirmities. And thank God, he was an outcast the whole time he's up on this earth. 
When he left heaven, the world did not rather ran him embrace him. His disciples also forsook him. Uh, the religious crowd never embraced him. Even his disciples left him in the time of panic and trial. And yet Jesus knows what it means to be an outcast. He knows what it means not to be loved and appreciated. He knows what it means to be rejected. He knows where you live today. And for that I'm grateful. You know what? He kept on keeping on because he had a goal in mind. He would not turn back. He would not draw back regardless of the world that he came to love, how much they rejected him. He kept on keeping on because he had a goal in mind. The Bible makes it clear that the almighty, all-powerful, all-seeing, everywhere present Lord chose to live among us. So let me remind you again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. He was able to identify with every one of us in this room in our fallen, uh, sinful, repulsive condition? And the answer is yes, he can, and yes, he did. He became one of us without partaking of our sin. He became one of us without partaking of the habits that we had. He became one of us that he might redeem us. Amen. But he knows what we go through. The Bible says, for we have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. The point being, Jesus can sympathize with us because he's been through what we're going through. I said Jesus sympathizes with us today because where you are, he has been. What you feel, he has felt. What you go through, he's gone through. Where your shoes have walked, he walked. He struggled and he himself suffered. As a matter of fact, the Bible said, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He understands loneliness. He understands rejection. He understands the pain. He understands the sickness. He understands death. He understands all the things that you go through every day of your hour. Not only does he identify with us, he's right there with us at all times. Whatever you go through today, he's there with you. Whatever it is, he's there with you right here, right now. How do we know that? For the Bible said, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Mary's baby, God's sacrificial lamb, fulfilled the prophetic word of Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted, which is God is with us. Right here, right now. 24 hours a day, regardless of where you're at, what you're going through, regardless of the condition, regardless of the circumstance, God understands it and God is with you during it. Did you get that? God is with us. He's not out there someplace. He's not over there someplace. He's not way out yonder someplace. God didn't just wind up the world and throw it out there and say, you're on your own, Bubba. God's involved, tuned in and turned on to everything that's going on in your life today. No matter the time, no matter the condition, no matter the circumstance, Jesus who laid in the manger, born of a man, not of a man, uh, but born as, uh, as a man and born of God, thank God said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He further stated, I will worship toward the holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. We can trust his word, but we can trust his name. Praise God. His name, his presence assures us that no matter what Satan throws at us, no matter what kind of a hand life deals to us, no matter what kind of landmines the enemy has prepared for us, we can overcome them. 
We can defeat them. We can have joy. We can have peace. He, he's there to lead us, to assist us, to guide us, to encourage us, and to keep us. Thank God for that. You're not alone as a child of God. May we learn to practice the presence of God. To Moses, remember there are many great I am promises in God's word. And the great I am statements appear many times. To Moses, God said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be a token to you that I have sent you. When thou hast brought forth the people of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Moses, I'm not going to leave you. To Joshua, he said, there shall not be any man able to stand before you all the days of your life. For as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. And then God says to every one of us in this room, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. God is with us. Emmanuel has not gone on vacation. The baby in Bethlehem's manger did what he's supposed to do on the earth. He ascended back to heaven and he said, I'll never leave you, praise God. Amen. This is made so real to me so many times in my life. The very first sermon I preached at 18 years of age, I went to the basement of that church and I would blow off the dust from the table. And I opened up my Bible and I said, God, I'm scared. And the voice of the Lord said, I'm not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I said, God, are you going to be with me? Lo, I am with you always. I will never leave you. Let me tell you something, church. In that deep, black, dead circumstance of night, in that trial that's bigger than you are, in that moment of loneliness, in the moment of that battle, in the moment of the heat of that whatever you're going through, to hear that word, I will never leave you. Oh, I got behind that pulpit this morning. Felt like David, I could run through a troop and jump over a wall Amen. because I know the great I am. The great I am is there to lead, to guide, to protect, and do all that needs to be done. This almighty, powerful God who is with us promises to give us strength in our weakest times. He promises to light the darkness of times, power in the midst of seemingly uncircumstances we can't get around, and knowing he'll lead us through anything that life brings our way. He is with us always. He's a good God. And he does good things. Amen. So why the manger? I believe it shows that God identifies with our struggles. Secondly, I believe he's born in the manger to provide an example to follow. Well, how am I going to follow the example of being born in, the, in, in a manger? I can't go back and be born again like that. No, but the spirit of humility can. Yeah. I've heard people say, and I've said it myself, don't do as I do, do as I say. Well, Jesus Christ does not give his commandments, nor does he demand us to do things just for the sake of doing them. He came in earth in person to show us how to live. And one of the greatest ways he did that was through his life of humility that he exemplified. We often think that Jesus was some little wimpy, tiptoe through the tulip type of a character. Stipe him on one side and give him the other. Oh, just go ahead. It felt so good. Let me, don't, don't excuse and don't misunderstand meekness for weakness. Yeah. Jesus was extremely meek in everything that he did, but he was a long way from being a weak man. Somebody slap you on the face, it doesn't prove what you can take, it proves what God can give. Grace and mercy during that time. Paul tells us, let the mind of Christ be in you. And one of the reasons the mighty God humbled himself and came to this infested world of sin was for us. He gave us a good example to follow when it comes to humility. Amen. And yet the Bible said, isn't that one reason we ought to be humble just to watch our, our leader? Paul tells us in humming himself and by coming to the earth to die for the sins, he denied himself. Friend, I'm here to tell you, many times we don't deny ourselves. 
We look for self. We live for self. It's what's in it for self. But the Bible said, Jesus expects humility in our life. If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. Now, many times in modern-day Christianity, we look at the cross of a padded cross. We'll take the padded cross, one that's comfortable. Friend, a cross is not padded. A cross is an instrument of death, an instrument of torment, an instrument of sacrifice, an instrument of getting rid of self. There are no padded crosses in Christianity. And yet Jesus humbled himself, and he left the glory that he had with the Father and died upon the cross. That's humility. And yet, God wants us to express the same type of humility by denying ourselves and living for Him. Let me stress again. When Jesus came to this earth from heaven, He did not cease being God. He did not lay down His divinity in heaven. He left the glory that He had with the Father in heaven. 100% God, 100% man upon this earth. That's an oxymoron, but it nevertheless is still the truth. Jesus gave up his right to glory. He took on the form of a man and in righteousness. He volunteered to die upon the cross as a cursed man. We know that Jesus left the glory behind. How do we know that? Paul tells us in Philippians, it's called the kenosis of Christ, where he emptied himself of all the glory. And in John 17, which I believe to be the Lord's prayer, he said, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Jesus was homesick. Jesus missed the glory. Can you imagine? Think again of the most ruthless, ugliest, sin-infested place that you ever visited upon this earth. When, I guess it's been a couple years ago, had the privilege of going to the White House. Did a tour there and went through some meetings and so forth. Got on an airplane, came home, packed my suitcase and took off to the Ukraine. I left the epitome of freedom and beauty in Washington, D.C., a symbol of everything that's good in America. Should be. A symbol. Didn't say it was. A symbol. Found myself 60 miles from the war zone at the eastern border of the Ukraine, uh, the western border of the Ukraine. I'm sorry, the eastern border. We had to literally go around mine holes in the road, big hole craters where bombs had gone off. You talked about a dichotomy of beauty to war, from peace to being scared, from a place of plenty to a place of very little. While we were there, Putin came around and was confiscating the Bibles and closing down churches the day before we left. I go through the uh, uh, airport security, and one, they, they took my briefcase, they emptied it, they harassed me, put it all back in. I walk as far as from here to Charlie, and the guy says, I want to see the book. So I took out my textbooks where I've been teaching. I want to see the book. Took out my textbooks. I want to see the book. So I took out the Bible. And he went page by page, two of them, searching my Bible. And I told my friend Randy, I said, Randy, they're not going to get my Bible. So I walked up and I took the Bible out of the hand and turned it to the front page. And I had a little picture in, the, in, the, in my Bible of my two kids when they were small. And I said, my children, aren't they pretty? I was up putting the bag and I took off. I to this day don't know what they want. But what I'm saying, to leave the beauty of all of that, to go to all of this. Jesus left the glory of all that in heaven behind to come here. Please understand the humility of the Lord. And finally, I think he, he was in the manger to demonstrate the power of God. God often uses things we least expect. He uses ways we least expect. And he often uses people that we least expect for his purposes and his plans to be fulfilled.
We see this repeated over and over in the Word of God. In the 40-some years of pastoral ministry, I've seen it happen again and again and again. That's God's way. <clears throat> For instance, when God called David to be the king of Israel, he was a red-cheeked, red-faced, and some even said red-headed young man. He was the third in generation from Esau, which was a hairy red-headed guy. So it's very possible he had red hair. I don't know. But David's out here tending the flock out in Bethlehem's fields. Samuel comes by and looks at all the Jesse sons and big tall stature and handsome guys. Surely this will make a good king. This will make a good king. And here they find little David coming in. Hello, what's going on, Dad? Uh, this is Samuel the prophet. Hello, sir, how are you? <gasps> There's God's choice. What's going on? Choice for what? You're the next king of Israel. What? When others saw a shepherd boy, God saw a king. Amen. When people saw a baby in the manger, they saw a male in a manger. But the world soon realized it's God. The Bible said, but the Lord said to Samuel, look not on the countenance or on the height of the stature, because I refused him. For the Lord see not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Bible is filled with many examples of God taking something that looks so weak and so insignificant and demonstrating his power. If God can do that with a baby, if God can do that with a shepherd boy, what in the world can God do with your life and mine? You know, had it been me and I thought, God, if you're going to overcome sin, you're going to defeat the devil, you better send Hulk down here. You better send the bionic man down here on steroids. You better send somebody down here, God, that can leap buildings and, 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 and throw moons around. You better, but no, a baby to win the world, defeat the devil? By the same token, if you realize it's your weakness given to God where his strength can be manifested, we can turn the world upside down for the glory of God if we give our weaknesses to Him. If we give our lives to Him. If He can use a baby in a manger, He can use we sitting in the church chairs in America today. Jesus lying in that manger, weak, helpless, couldn't talk, couldn't feed Himself, couldn't say anything, couldn't even hold His head up. But the manger was a demonstration of God's power and love. Little as much in the hands of God. Little is much in the hands of God. Amen. The perfect plan of salvation is the greatest single manifestation of God's power ever on display. I believe that. Amen. Paul tells us it's the preaching of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. The gospel has power. Amen. How do you know that? You're here saved, aren't you? Right. You're born again today. Praise God. The power first appeared in the manger at Bethlehem. The Son of God became the Son of Man. Entered into the human life as a baby. And the manger seen as much more than a piece of furniture that we put on our mantles at home. It's much more than this beautiful manger seen behind us this morning. Thank God the reality of it is it was a real place. Amen. It was a damp place, a dungy place, a dirty place, a dingy place, a smelly place where animals were to be fed. But the manger to me is a living expression because it speaks of a living Christ coming to us in some of our present circumstances. It's in that message of the manger that we ask some questions. How far will God go to show his love? How far will God go to show his love? 
Would you allow your son to be crucified for Osama bin Laden? Would you allow your son to be crucified for an Adolf Hitler? Would you allow your son to be crucified for a Jeff Davis? Now think about that. But God said, I'm sending my son because I love you. And if God will go that far to show his love to a world full of sinners, and if those in that world turn down that love, mercy, and forgiveness, how much further will he go in his wrath to be outpoured against those that turn down that sacrificial love toward them? I don't know what it will be like, but the Bible said it's appointed that a man wants to die, and after that will be judged. And the Bible said it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I don't know if the sinners that have never been accepted Christ, if they'll stand before him one by one, and he will remove his cloak and say, before we talk, I want to show you the nail scars in my hands. I I want to show you the stripes that were placed upon my back for you. I I want to show you the indentation where the crown of thorns went deep down into my brow. I want to show you the sacrifice that I did. And by the way, you see that Ark of the Covenant there? That was my blood that was shed for you. And yet you did not accept it. You did not embrace it. And with tears in his eyes, he may say, I have only one choice. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Be cast into hell where death and hell will be cast in the lake of fire that will burn forever and ever. God gets no joy in people going to hell. Well, why does he send us there? He doesn't. He sent his son that we miss it. But we voluntarily say, I don't want him, and therefore you carry your own sins in your own body, and you pay the price for eternity. God has got to be just and justifier. Sin in your life and mine has got to be judged. If we embrace Jesus, it's settled. If we don't, we carry it all on our own. So if God went that far to show us his love, how far will he go in displaying his wrath? Jesus Christ gave up everything in heaven so we could enjoy everything that heaven has to offer. The manger is an image of his humility. The manger to me identifies our struggles. But the manger also is one of the greatest displays of God's power the world has ever seen. I hope you know the Lord. If you don't, you will stand before him one day, and we all will. And I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, not depart from me.